Okay. Now, I've got a free book for anybody without looking at your Bible who can quote Ephesians 5, 3 and 4. Ephesians 5, 3, and 4. Anybody? Ephesians 5, 3, and 4. No? Okay, how about Ephesians 5, 1, and 2? Can't look at your Bible. <laughs> how are we rusty? Okay. I'll bring it back next week, <laughs> and I'll have a different scripture. <coughs> I want to encourage you to be reading the book of Ephesians, the whole book. Read it 25 times in the next couple of weeks. Just keep reading this book. While we're studying this book, keep reading it. Keep learning it. Keep presenting it to your mind constantly. And then as we go through here, and we comprehensively discuss every little word in this whole book, you're really going to learn it well, and it's going to be in your heart and in your mind, and it's going to make your, your, your mind be pure, and it's going to make your heart be clean, it's going to give you the right motivations, it's going to give you understanding of God's purpose in the church, okay? So please be reading this book, be reading this book. Um, okay, with that, I'm going to go ahead and pray. God, our Father, Lord, we are so thankful for your love to us. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to gather here with all your holy family. We ask, Lord, that you would cleanse our hearts and our minds, that you would renew our, our minds with your truth. Help us, Lord, to uh, think rightly about the, the world that we live in, about the church whom you have made us a part of. God, help us to grow in all of our knowledge and understanding help us to grow god in our grace and and lord in our in the practice of of honoring you with all that we say and all that we think and all that we do i pray lord that you would open the eyes of our heart and help us to understand what you've called us to as your holy people in jesus name we pray amen okay Okay, with that, we're on our ongoing study of the book of Ephesians, and today we are uh, starting in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, and I'm going to read this morning from chapter 5, verse 1, uh, through chapter 5, verse 14, okay? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
And let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Amen. Okay, so here we are in the book of Ephesians in chapter 5, and just giving you that quick little review about the book of Ephesians. Remember that Ephesians is really broken into two parts. The first part is chapters 1 through 3. second part is chapters 4 through 6. Chapters 1 through 3 deal with uh, the doctrinal understanding of the church. They deal with our position in Christ, what Christ has purchased for us. And, and what we possess being in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6 deal with our practice. They talk about, it talks about our behavior, how we are to behave practically, what it is specifically we are to do as Christians. In the first three chapters, Paul never ever gives one single commandment. He never gives one bit of practical instruction and says you should do this or you shouldn't do that. Then in chapter 4, verse 1, he shifts gears. And now it's just one commandment after another. It's one practical exhortation after another. And he's telling us, now that you are a Christian and you possess all these things in Christ, here is what your life ought to look like practically. These are things that you should be doing. These are things that you should stay away from. And, and again, he's, he, he still goes on giving us understanding about those things. But now it's very practical exhortations to Christian life. And, of course, he's going to deal with um, the old man and the new man and how the old man ought to be put to death and the new man ought to live. And uh, he goes in describing what that old man's behavior looks like. And he says, this you ought to put off. This you ought to put to death. This you ought to crucify with Christ. And then he, he describes what the, the new man looks like and how that life is to be put on and how we are to begin to walk in these things, the, the, the behavior of Christ. And, and starting in chapter 4, right about verse 17, right on through chapter 5, uh, through the middle of chapter 5, he's drawing these contrasts. And he's saying, this was your former way of life, But this is your new way of life. And he keeps drawing these contrasts so we can see how we used to live and how we ought to now live. And he's presenting them in a way that they are opposites. And uh, again, we're just today we're right in the middle of these contrasts that Paul is drawing. Remember, he would say, um, uh, put off falsehood and stop speaking lies. Instead, speak the truth in love, right? And uh, he said, don't steal any longer, but do what? Work so that you'll have something to share, right? And uh, he's going through and drawing these contrasts. Well, here we find ourselves again today in the midst of some contrasts that Paul is drawing. Um, And he's going to get really severe. 
here in verses uh, uh, 5 and 6, he's going to really talk about the importance of these things and, and kind of expose them. And uh, so if you will, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. Now remember the background, the setting of this is set up really in, in verses 1 and 2. And there he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And so here he's calling us to imitate God. He's calling us to act like God, to think like God, to, to do what God does. He says, be an imitator of God. Be just like God, he says, as beloved children. And walk in love. And you remember the word walk is equivalent to the word live, right? And if you have an NIV right there, it says, live a life of love. Okay? Here, walk in love, he says. Just as Christ also loved you. And here's what he says. You know, be an imitator of God and walk in love. How? Just as Christ. How are we to love? Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We're to live a life of self-sacrificing love. This is the agape love of God. This is the kind of love that puts others' needs above its own. And makes a sacrifice to do it. Amen? And he, he goes on. And gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And there he's saying, you see, when you are an imitator of God and you live a life of love, he says, it's like a fragrant aroma in the nostrils of God. God is very pleased by this. And you see, that's a contrast Back to chapter 4, verse 30, where it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So, we don't want to grieve God. We don't want His heart to be broken and grieved over our behavior, over the way that we walk, over the way that we live. Instead, we want our life to be a fragrant aroma which is pleasing to the Lord. You see that contrast? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, but please God. Okay? How do you do that? You... Be an imitator of God. And you walk in love. You live a life of love. What kind of love? The same kind of love that Jesus walked in. Okay? That's the background of these verses that we're going to look at now. Uh, So then looking at uh, chapter 5, verse 3, he says there, But do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Okay, so here in in chapter 5, verse 3, he says, Do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you. How many of you have an NAS? But in your NAS, it reads a little different than mine. It says, uh, there should be no immoral person. Anybody have that NAS? Can you read that to Ephesians 5, 3? Ephesians 5, 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as it is proper among the saints. Okay. Anybody have the NAS that reads immoral person instead of immorality? Uh, Or unclean? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. In verse 5. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man 
who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Got it. We all have the NAS updated. That's what we all have. Okay, there's a little bit different version in the, the actual NAS. And it's actually speaking about the person, not just the act of, of immorality. But uh, I want us to see exactly what Paul is saying here. Look, he's saying, if you're going to be an imitator of God and you're going to walk in love, he says, look, there, do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you. Okay, And here he's talking about uh, three specific uh, sins or lifestyles. And, and um, it, it's very clear what he's saying. He says this is the opposite of love. Do not let this happen. If you're going to walk in love, do not let this happen. And what is it? Immorality, impurity, and greed. And he says it should not even be named among you. Okay, so here are more acts of destructive behavior which are to be put to death. You remember in the latter half of chapter 4, he was saying uh, that we had to put to death whatever belonged to our earthly nature, that we were no longer to walk like the Gentiles walk, and we were to put off that old self which is being corrupted. And we're to put on that new self. And as he went through that list of the old self, he said, put off anger and wrath and malice and clamor. Right? Put away lying and falsehood, he said. Stop stealing. And, and he was talking about that old former self. And here he's, he's uh, expounding on even some more destructive acts. And these he, he considers extremely severe. Um, <clears throat> he says here that they are not even to be named among us. Okay? If you have an NIV there, I believe it says, not even a hint. Okay, these things are not to be among us at all, not named among us at all. These, he says, are not proper for saints. And again, the word saints is the is the word holy ones. It's hagios in the Greek. It means holy ones. Okay, he says these things, immorality, impurity and greed, he says, are improper for holy ones. It should not even be named among you. And I ask the question, shall God's holy temple be profaned with devil's deeds? Think about that. You remember back in chapter 2 when Paul was telling us who we were? He said we were one corporate body that was being built together on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and that we were literally becoming a dwelling in the Lord where God lives by His Spirit, that we all become one holy temple in the Lord, he says. Can we be the holy temple of God and have our lives polluted with devil's deeds? No, Paul says. It can't even be named among us. Not even a hint. Not the slightest bit. Okay? I ask... Go ahead. When it means named among you, does that mean it's not even to be talked about? Uh, He'll get to that in verse 12. Uh, But no, more specifically what he is saying is it is not to exist in any way, shape, or form. It is not to be in your presence, period. And yes, that would include speech. And verse 12 makes that crystal clear. Okay? 
now, it's not to say that we can't discuss the Word of God. It's not to say that we can't discuss what does a moral life look like and what does an immoral life look like. Okay? The idea is to say that, like he says in verse uh, 4, there must be no filthiness or silly talk. And we're going to talk about what those words mean, but it's going to deal with exactly what you're saying, Renee. Uh, so I, I want to ask another question. Shall God's chosen people be adorned with wickedness and evil? I mean, if we're the people of the holy God, what should our life look like? It, it should be pure. It should be an imitation of God. There shouldn't be anything immoral. You know, God's character is what? It's moral. It's not immoral. Therefore, whatever is immoral is opposite of who God is. Amen? And that's why these things aren't even to be named among us. They're not even to be named among us. Not even a hint. We'll, we'll discuss that in detail here. These should not be present in any form in the assembly of the righteous and should be purged, and I put there, actively removed from among us. Okay? So what is it that he's saying should not be named among us? And what is it that he is saying is not proper among saints? Well, he says immorality and impurity and greed. Okay, I want you to, to see what those words are. The word immorality is the word porneia. Porneia. That's the word from where we get the word pornography. Okay, Porneia is specifically dealing with sexual sin. To use an accurate English word to, trans, to translate this would be the word fornicator or fornication. Okay? The idea of pornea is fornication. Okay? Who can tell me what fornication means? Definition of fornication. Anybody? Sex before marriage? Yes? Okay. Any sex outside of marriage is fornication, okay? And it includes all forms of sex outside of marriage, okay? And um, the Bible is very descriptive about what those are. But here I want to give you the Strong's definition, uh, definition of immorality. There it's, it's fornication, including any sex outside of marriage, adultery, incest, homosexuality. And it could also include things like bestiality, I mean, it's any kind of a sexual act that's outside of marriage, okay? Pornea is, a, is, a, is an overarching broad term which talks about sexual sin in general. And, and so then it also is the English word fornication, fornication, okay? And many times it's used to describe sex before marriage, okay? The sin of sex before marriage in the English is described as fornication, Okay? Uh, it can also be translated as harlotry. Of course, we don't use that word much in the modern English at all, uh, but it would include adultery and incest. Okay? Uh, this is what Paul says is not even to be named among us. Fornication. No sex outside of marriage. Period. Okay? He also, just to make sure that we don't miss the point, he clarifies it by using a very similar term. That term is impurity, okay, which in the Greek is akatharsia, okay? Akatharsia means uncleanness or specifically moral filth, 
something that is morally unclean, okay? And that's why in the NAS it's using the word impure. Impure is the same as unclean, okay? You're familiar in Jewish terms, there was a major difference between clean and unclean. Recall that? And how the... uh, uh, the Israelites were to be able to discern between clean and unclean. They had all kinds of clean and unclean things. They had clean and unclean food. They had clean and unclean clothes. They had clean and unclean practices. Okay, And there were certain things that defiled them and made them unclean. And then when they were unclean, they were unable to enter the assembly of God, the tabernacle, where they worshipped God. They couldn't go there when they were unclean. Okay, And it's a picture of God's holiness. Right? And that's why they were to be zealous to always be clean. And that's why they had ceremonial washings and all kinds of of things that would symbolize the holiness of God and how that uncleanness, that impurity was not to enter the assembly of the Lord. And if it was, it was to be dealt with. Okay? In various ways. Sometimes you could be cleansed. If you were unclean in a certain way, you could go to the priest and, and he'd, he'd look at your problem and he'd, he would deal with you accordingly as the scripture lays out. Other times, they were to take you out to the edge of the city and stone you to death. Okay? Depending on uh, what made you unclean. Right? So, uh, again, we're going to get that kind of a sense here in how we deal with it in the church. But this word impurity, this word impurity means um, uncleanness or moral filth. And it's specifically talking about morality, violations of morality and, and uh, it's closely related to, to sexual impurity. Rosie? Uh, first, I'm backing up a little bit. When we first started, I think you said a couple times, we are becoming the temple of God. I caught that phrase a couple times, but we are the temple of God, right? The yes, we are. Christ comes to live in our life, we become the temple of God. He dwells in us. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I don't know, what I see is, you know, he came into my life and, like, he turned on the lights. And then I was aware of all these things that before never even bothered me. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, and I wish it was all of a sudden. I know some people are instantly delivered from all those things, but it, it, it is just an ongoing process where we become more and more aware of what is sinful or what's wrong in our life. Mm-hmm. And we're all at kind of at different stages of maturity, isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we are. What, what I was referring to was not the individual Christian, but the scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, verse 21. There it says, In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Oh, yeah, okay. okay? And it's talking about the corporate body of the church becoming one and God coming to live among them. Okay? So, uh, but I want to clarify what you're saying. That indeed, every Christian who has been born again <laughs> is the temple of God wherein the Holy Spirit dwells. Okay? Of course, that's crystal clear in several places in the New Testament. Um, but, but yeah, so if we've become the holy temple of God, right, and now we have understanding, it's been brought to light what these unclean things are, right? Paul's saying we're to put them off. Not only are we to put these off, right, but these here, these aren't even to be named among us. Why? Because they are not proper among saints, They are not in their proper place if these things are among saints. Okay? And the first one he says is fornication, sex outside of marriage. And the second one he says is any kind of moral filth in the life. Any kind of moral filth 
Okay, and I think that that's particularly uh, relevant to today's world that we live in. Okay, because the airwaves are filled with moral filth and pollution and garbage. Okay, and they make war against the soul of a Christian, and they make war against the soul of all men. Okay, and so we we need to discern what these things are. We need to be aware of what they are. And here he uses the word impurity, which is moral filth or uncleanness, okay? And that's why as you're reading a little further down, it says, or an unclean person, okay? It's the idea of of unclean. Being defiled before the Lord so that you cannot enter the sanctuary of the Lord, okay? He's saying this must not be named among you, all right? He also uses here the word greed, the word greed, okay, and defined there is, is, is the word covetousness or unbridled lust, okay? Now, this is the not, not simply the idea of desiring to have something, okay, but it's desiring to have something in an unbridled way so that you're willing to do whatever it takes to lay hold of it, okay? The idea with this word is, is possibly extortion, or taking by illegal means or sordid gain, okay? It has a, a, a flavor where there's an illegality to this greed, okay? It's not simply a desire, but it's an unbridled desire. It's a desire that's not under control, okay? Specifically for money, possessions, okay? Earthly riches, okay? That's what this greed is, covetousness. You have something and I want it. Okay, that's this greed. This is one of the Ten Commandments, is it not? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house or his donkey or his wife or anything that belongs to thy neighbor. Right? This is, Paul says, shall not even be named among us. Okay, that's how severe is the sin of greed. It should be mentioned that this is yet another contrast being drawn by Paul. Here it is between being an imitator of God and walking in love and that which is pleasing to the Lord and being immoral, greedy, and impure, which is improper for saints. Okay? There's another contrast here. He's saying, be an imitator of God and walk in love. Right? Not an immoral or an impure or a greedy person. Okay? Another contrast by Paul. Look with me at Colossians 3, 5 through 7. It's there on your handout. There it says something very similar. He says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Okay? And here Paul points the same thing out to the Colossian church. And he's saying, look, immorality, impurity, and greed, evil desire, he says, these things are to be put to death. He says, count yourself as dead to these things. 2 Corinthians 12. There he says, I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you 
And I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. Paul says, I'm going to come to the church. And when I come to the church, I'm going to come to the church in power. And anybody who's living in these kinds of things, I'm going to deal with them. Basically what he's saying is, I'm going to put them out of the church. And of course, you're familiar with what went on in in the Corinthian church when Paul wrote his letter in chapter 5. And there was an immoral person that was flaunting his immorality in the church. And Paul said, you take that evil man and you put him out of the church. Okay? And then he he tells him again, uh, look, when I come, I don't want to be humiliated over people who have not repented of these sins. Okay? He's very serious about these specific sins he's naming here. Gene? I think there's one other point that you may have made it, I missed it. In 5, verse 5, he names the three things, the immorality, the impurity, and the covetousness. And then it says, comma, who is an idolater? Mm -hmm. I think it's the idolater applies to all three of those things. Mm -hmm. And it's because you're putting any one of them ahead of God. Amen. And I think it's also repeated in this Colossians, which amounts to idolatry. Mm-hmm. All of those things, anything that you put ahead of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, <coughs> Absolutely. And, and of course, that's what's primary to the, to the Christian life is our relationship with God, right? And, and anything that, that we put before God. Look, if we're living a lifestyle of sin, okay, we are continually taking that thing which God abhors and putting it before him. Okay? That is a, a, a violation of the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I am the Lord. Right? And if he's the Lord, and he says we ought not to have immorality, impurity, or greed among us, and we do it, then what are we guilty of? Well, not only have we violated that commandment, that, that specific commandment, <coughs> But now we violated the first commandment as well, right? Which is why it says there, uh, as Gene correctly points out, um, these amount to idolatry, okay? If you're guilty of these things, you've sinned against the Lord in highest manner. This is the highest treason you could commit. You're breaking the first commandment because you've put these sins above God in His holy commandments. Amen? And, of course, that's not just in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. That's strewn throughout the New Testament. This idea of sexual immorality being a form of idolatry. Okay? It very much is. As a matter of fact, uh, if you're familiar at all with the ancient city of Ephesus, there was a huge temple there. uh, Temple to uh, the god Artemis. Right? And in this temple, what they would do is they would go there and they would have drunken orgies. And this was the actual practice of this religion of those who worshipped Artemis. Okay? It's a vile, filthy thing. And this is the kind of thing that these Christians were saved out of. Okay? And that's why when Paul's instructing those Ephesians on how they are to live, he says, look, these things aren't even to be named among you. Okay? And you have to understand, these people were saved out of this kind of a lifestyle. Okay? And, and uh, you know, with the culture that we're living in, it's becoming progressively and progressively more like that. And we need to be very careful about the way we live and the way we walk. And we're going to talk about that also. Um, in this day, 
of visual images and powerful audio-video media. Christians should be warned to put away even the very appearance of immoral and impure temptations. Okay? Look at what we're saying. We're saying not even a hint. (coughs) This is not to be named among us at all. Okay? I want to get more specific. Christian men, and women for that matter, should never engage in viewing pornographic material as a fixed gaze on a naked or scantily clad woman or man is surely a sin against the Lord and poison for your soul. You understand what we're saying? We're saying that if you fix your gaze upon a scantily clad woman and you are a man and she is not your wife, you are sinning against the Lord. Don't think for one minute you're not. Matthew 5.28 makes that crystal clear. Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now what have you done? Now you violated the commandments again. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And in so doing, it amounts to what? Idolatry. And you're guilty of what? The highest treason against the Lord. You see how quickly sin compounds on you? (coughs) Right? Now, I'm not saying that you're not a man. I'm not saying that that you're not naturally drawn to, to look at the beauty of a woman's body. Right? But that is reserved for your wife. Okay? There is a proper place for sex. And it's not sex outside of marriage. Okay? And the scripture makes it crystal clear that there's not even to be a hint. It is not even to be named among us this kind of immorality. I want to go a little further. A Christian man or woman (coughs) should not engage in viewing television shows or reading magazines and books which present unwholesome and filthy immoral stories and thoughts or ideas and comments about sinful, impure, and immoral behavior, which the wicked perpetrate against the Lord in the darkness. And let me tell you why. Because it is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. Okay? Now here's what I'm trying to tell you. This should not even be named among us. What? That you go home, and you turn on the box, and what's going on in that box is immorality, impurity, and greed. Why would you gaze upon the filthiness of what the disobedient do in secret? Why would you go to the movie theater and be entertained by adultery and fornication? Why would you do that if you are a Christian and the Spirit of God lives in you and you're striving to be an imitator of God, a holy dwelling where the Lord lives by His Spirit? Why would you, why would you pursue those things? What is going on in your heart if you are entertained by fornication? Don't you know that because of this, the wrath of God will come? Don't you know that this is why people go to hell and that the world is dying and in death and in despair? Don't you know that the Bible says that you are to hate what is evil and cling to what is good? You fathers... You ought to be real careful about what goes on inside your home and what your family is gazing their eyes upon. Real careful. 
Because you're going to give an account to the Lord. Not just for what you look at, but what your family looks at. Because you're the head of that house. And you have a responsibility to keep that house pure before the Lord. That's what it means. All the nice little plaques that we have that say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know what Joshua was saying? He was saying, I'm man in my house, and what we're going to do here is we're going to serve the Lord. Okay? We need to understand the war that we're involved in, the nature of this war. It is severe. It's very severe. Okay? And when we consider immorality and impurity and greed, this is something that's not even to be named among us. It is not to exist among us. Okay? And, you know, I could go on with a long list of how this stuff is so prevalent in our culture. I mean, what comes to my mind is, is you walk up to the, uh, the market, the grocery store cashier, and there's a stack full of magazines, right? And <laughs> there's half-naked women all over the covers of these magazines. And if you, if you just read the subtitle of any one of the articles, it's about some vile, sick fornication that's going on, some great, grand, wonderful, lusty story, Right? about how we can sin against God. That's what those things are chock full of. Okay? Those are poison to your soul. Do not grab them off that thing. Those things are good for the fire, and that's where they're going to end up. There was a couple of hands here. Tanya. Uh, just how, how can we guide our teenagers and young adults? Because first off... You know, in marriage, we're a lot more protected than these young people. I believe that a lot of young people, <coughs> they start sinning simply because it, there's a huge temptation. So how do we guide our young people to test their heart mm-hmm. when really they're in the midst of the fire, I mm-hmm. believe? Okay, well, I, I think that's really clear in the Bible. And I would start with Deuteronomy 6, uh, verses 4 and following. Right, which is to the, the Shema. Right, y'all familiar with the Shema? Right, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And uh, he, he goes on and he says, these commands I give you today are to be upon your hearts, and you are to teach them to your children. And he says, impress them on your children. You're to talk about them when you sit down, lie down, and go along the way. Write them on your gates. Write them on your doors. In other words, put the word of God before you every minute of every day and everything you do. Right? And he says, you raise that family in the fear and in the admonition of the Lord. You have to teach them to discern good and evil. You have to teach them. When you see that with your eyes, that is a vile, sickening, wicked thing before the Lord. And don't look at it. Turn your eyes away from it. You have to instruct them. How will they know what's good and evil if you don't tell them day after day? They go out in that culture, like you said, they're being bombarded. Day after day after day, they're being bombarded with these thoughts, these ideas, these images. But it's more than that. They're being sought after. Mm-hmm. They're being sought after. Girls are seeking them. Boys are seeking them. I mean, I really think that... Mm-hmm. you see what I'm saying? No, I don't. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what you mean. What I'm saying is, what do you do to guard your children? You teach them. And you do what you can as a parent to, to insulate them to some degree. So I, I'm sorry, maybe I'm missing something, is no, it? That's, yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, we do tend to think that we are 
more protected in marriage, but our children are protected in our families as the father being the protector. They don't we don't just send out our children and say, Have at it. You know, our hopefully our children are going from the protection of their father to the protection of their husband. And that's mostly for the girls, but hopefully also our boys are being taught that they are to remain pure. And the father is teaching them along the way how to do that. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, you have to teach the them. protection is there throughout. I mean, you, you have to teach them. There's, there's no other way. If, you, if they go out in this world, what is going to come of them? They're going to become just like <laughs> the world. And what goes on in the world? It's full of immorality, impurity, and greed. Right? Because that is the natural state of man. It's been going on for thousands of years. Okay? But we're not to be like that. We are a holy people before the Lord. Okay? And these things aren't even to be named among us. We have to teach our children that sin will destroy them. We have to teach our children that sin is treason against God. And that God is the avenger of that treason. Okay? It's, it seems like this is kind of a nervy conversation. Like maybe we've uh, wound up in everybody's living room with a big, long, bony finger from a prophet or something. <laughs> but, but friends, what, what kind of, a, uh, what kind of a, a world are you living in if this is shocking to you to hear these things? What, what kind of a world are you living in if your home isn't already cleansed of these things? Okay, because in the church, there's not even a hint of this. There was a, a hand right here. Greg? Well, I was going to say that <clears throat> with the media and all that, it's even more perverse than that because how it's all being portrayed, you know, I'm not sure where it is in here, but, you know, good will become evil and evil will become good. I mean, it's, it's, it's portrayed that this stuff is good and if you're a if you're opposed to it, you're, you know. You know, I want to just encourage you. Look, I'm not saying that this is not a great war. I'm not saying that you're not fighting a formidable foe. You are, right? In fact, you've got more than one. If the devil's not enough, you've got your own flesh to contend with, who's a far greater enemy, in my mind, right? I'm not saying this is easy, Okay? But what, what does God say here? What does He say? He says these things aren't even to be named among us. If you study this concept of immorality in the church, which we're going to do, we're going to look some more here to see how, what the Bible says we ought to do about it. But the, what Paul is saying is these things aren't even to be named among you. It's not proper for saints. Okay? Which means we have to put it off. It's not, it's not even to show up in any form in our lives. Okay, it's got to be cut off at the root. Daniel? Well, Greg, Greg is correct in that um, we, we, we must not only teach them what is wrong, we must, but, you know, even in Ephesians, before Paul starts ta- talking about putting off what's wrong, mm-hmm. he begins by actually talking about what is good. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the immeasurable riches in Christ. So, <clears throat> because it, you know, and, and I've got young children, they, they don't have that capacity of foreseeing consequences, mm-hmm. and so it, and so if you tell them, 
<coughs> you know, and, and it's all true. God, God will avenge. But if they don't see that immediate, if there isn't fire and brimstone that just suddenly kind of comes down the first time they lie mm -hmm. and, and takes an arm off, mm -hmm. they, they think they can get away with that. Mm -hmm. And we got to teach against that. But we must also show them what is right. And I think pr primarily in our day and age, uh, the best example is, is uh, marriage. Because when you look at even many of the you know, so-called clean shows out there, mm -hmm. the way they portray marriage is is this um, sort of doom-like state to which you've been consigned and you can't escape it and, and it's no fun. Mm -hmm. and, and, and all the dads are a Homer Simpson. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and, all the, and all the moms are desperate housewives. Yeah. Right? Yeah. My God. That a Christian would fill their mind with those kinds of thoughts and images. Karen? Well, just because um, I've talked to some of the moms having a teenager is new to us. <laughs> and just, I mean, I, when Tanya said about protecting them, I mean, just when I dropped my <coughs> off at school, and he's going to a small high school, it's like he has to walk in with blinders on and not have his eyes focused, just be what the way the kids are dressed this day, and that's fashion, and it's acceptable, and mm -hmm. it's, you know, how do you, you know, so I could sit down and say, okay, that shirt's too short, that one's too tight, that one's too, you know, and you should not be looking at this stuff, and, you know, I just... <laughs> Go on. <laughs> You're instructing us. You better believe. Here's what I'm saying. You need to sit those kids down and you need to tell them, that's too short. That's too tight. That's improper. It shouldn't be named among saints. you got to tell them. you got to teach them. But then he spends all day in it. He does. Just like you do. And just like your husband does when he goes out into that workplace. But that doesn't change the fact that you are no longer darkness, but you are light in the Lord. And the temp you are the temple of God. You are the holy place of God. What does a man do? Listen, I work out in the world every day. I walk into an office. There are women who wear skirts so short, it'll blow your mind away. You think, are, are you real? <laughs> I, mean, there, I mean, there are things going on in our culture that, I mean, if you're not careful, man, you're, you're liable to sin against God just by turning your head. <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. So what are you going to do? Are you going to just succumb to temptation? Right? Are you going to find out what's pleasing to the Lord? Are you going to understand what the will of the Lord is and not be unwise? Are you going to be like Job? He says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to even look upon a woman. Why? Because he knows what his flesh is like. He knows what his flesh will do. Right? So he's making provision in his prayer life so that when he's presented with those temptations, he knows how to deal with it, right? Which is exactly what you have to teach your kids. You have to teach them. You have to show them. And, uh, and, and more than that, you know, how do we protect our kids? We insulate them. Let me give you an example. I want to give you a perfect example. Okay, you got, you got Johnny down the street, okay? And you happen to know that Johnny down the street... Uh, he's, he's living in a, you know, a, a difficult situation. His family is, is dysfunctional. And Johnny just happens to be one of those little kids who really needs to be loved. Uh, but, you know, Johnny's got this little thing where he's got his dad's pornographic books, right? And uh, how do you know that? Well, because 
you know, uh, little Freddie's mom called you last week and said, you know what? Uh, I found out that Johnny's got a stash of pornographic books over there at his house. Okay? So, <clears throat> little did you know this was going on, and your little Gary has been playing with Johnny. Right? Now I want to ask you, what are you going to do? Are you going to encourage Gary to go play with Johnny now? Especially at Johnny's place? No, what are you going to do? <laughs> right. Furthermore, you're going to call up Johnny's mom. And you're going to have nothing to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather you're going to expose them. And you're going to say, Johnny, uh, uh, Mommy, Johnny's got some problems here. <laughs> we need to deal with this. You with me? And what are you going to do? You're going to insulate your child from that temptation to the best of your ability, right? You can't go with your kid to school all day. You can't walk with them everywhere they go. How are you going to equip them? How are you going to protect them? You've got to teach them to discern on their own good from evil. And here's our problem. We spend our time at home laying on the couch, staring at the ceiling, watching the tube and polluting our minds that way. Whatever we're doing, if we're not teaching those kids, we're not equipping them to go back out into this vile, filthy world. And that's our responsibility as Christian parents. And we're going we're gonna to get there, Gene. I think at this point in the discussion, there usually comes up a word picture, I think, that really speaks to the Christian's solution to this problem. And it's always, it can be the FBI or it can be a bank or whatever. But anyhow, in the bank, let's say, they take the new tellers and they show them real money. Only real money. Okay? And they say, feel this real money, crumpled up old real money, new real money, everything that's real. They study what's real. They don't go out and study every form of counterfeit bill, mm -hmm. they study only the real money. Amen. And I think our first line of defense mm -hmm. is to hammer home biblical teachings to our kids. Thus, the whole concept in the Bible of clean and unclean. The whole concept in the Bible of clean and unclean. This is what it's for. It's so that we learn how to discern what is clean and what is unclean. Rose? So Rose is saying that you've got to have that relationship with those kids if you're going to have an impact with them when you're teaching them, right? Rick, were you going to say something there? Well, number one, what's our relationship with God? We've got to line up with God's word. Number two, we need to train our children because if we don't, the world's going to. Mm -hmm. We have to train them through the word. We have to train them through example. Amen. If we don't, the world's going to take them. So we do everything we can on our knees with our children constantly, all the time, and then God takes care of it. Amen. Amen. And, and when we've done all we can to stand, they're in the hands of the Lord. Amen? But this is our pursuit. 
This is why we come to church week after week after week and we hear the Word of God and we hear it taught. And we and what we're saying is, let's go home and let's do what? Let's read that Bible day in and day out. Let's meditate on the Word of God. Let's get God's thinking up in our mind. Why? Because we're living in a horrible, vile, perverse, and wicked generation. And we are light in the Lord. We're the ones who, who, who are called to be holy and separate from sin. Okay? This is the situation that we're in, like it or not. Okay? But this is God's purpose in the church. God is working His purpose through all of these things, through this great war, through this great battle that you're fighting. God is being glorified in you. You are the holy temple in the Lord if you've been born again. Carlos? Uh, I have two So many hands. Last one here, Rosie. I do have that perspective of 20, 30, and now my oldest one's almost 40 down the road, and we've gone through all this. We did those things, and there was disappointment times, but I want to encourage you to keep on praying because that is so powerful. And now when your kids are 30 to 40 years old, you keep praying over them. There's different temptations, but God answers prayer, and he's so powerful, mm-hmm. you know, and he's not done with them yet. Mm-hmm. You know, he gives them their choices, and... You wish they'd make the right choice. You showed them how to make the right choice, but they still get to choose. And sometimes I comfort myself that, you know, God was a perfect father, and his kids messed up. So, you know, none of us are perfect parents. We do the best we can, but our kids still might mess up. But you can still keep praying and God ask God to use that mess up to teach them those important lessons. You know, mm-hmm. grace is so great. <laughs> you know, I, I haven't walked where you've walked, okay? And I, and I don't want to sound like I'm uh, incompassionate. Okay, Uh, I don't mean to be, but I see the standard that's lifted up in Scripture. And the standard is that we are to be perfect parents. Not only that, the Scripture goes through and tells us exactly what a perfect parent looks like. Right? Now, it doesn't say that somewhere down the road that guarantees your children are going to grow up and make the right moral choices. Right? 
the the proverb uh, which says, right, uh, bring them up in the Lord, and when they're old, they'll they'll not depart. That's a proverb. Okay, that's a general bit of wisdom that says, generally speaking, if you do these things, this will be the result, right? But that's not a promise from God that your kids are going to be perfect kids or that they're not going to struggle with sin, right? But nevertheless, the standard is Christ. The standard is to be an imitator of God, right? And I don't want you to feel like it's condemnation, but let me tell you, the standard is high and it's holy. And here's what Paul's saying in Ephesians. There's not to be any immorality or impurity or greed to even be named among you. Okay? And he's talking about these acts that we do. And here in a minute, he's going to talk about the things that we say. He's going to talk about, here he's talking about holiness of life. Now he's going to talk about holiness of speech. Right? And uh, he gets very specific about these things. But the, the idea is, is, look, should we succumb? Shall, shall we lay down the sword and quit fighting the war and say, okay, well, whatever happens, Lord? You know? No, of course not. We're, we're going we're gonna to raise those kids up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We're going we're gonna to teach them day in and day out what is right, what is wrong. We're going to teach them how to get on their knees and get a hold of God. And how we're going to do that, like Rick said, it's not just a matter of instruction, but it's by example. You know, we can't just sit them down and tell them the truth and then go live a heathen life before them. Right? That, that will inoculate them for sure to the truth. Right? We've got to be teaching them by example. they got to see our life has to be a life that's free from immorality and impurity and greed. Right? And, uh, you know, we have that responsibility as parents. It's a great responsibility bringing kids into this world. It's a great responsibility being a Christian parent. Right? The world is evil. There's a mean old angry devil out there seeking to drag people to hell. Right? And we've got to make war. We've got to make war against those things. I guess I'm going to knock off there. Is there any more comments? Carol? Uh, you're saying we have to live by example. I know as women we need to dress in the way that God instructs us in First Timothy 2, 9 and 10 to dress modestly in his privilege. And I think even Christian women get into the style of dressing with the blouses and jeans and things that spiritual and do not set the example for modest behavior as God calls us to do. And then we wonder why our children mm-hmm. uh, begin to go the way of the world. And we have to be that example and not just say this don't do this and do this, but know what God's word says ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because we cannot be the example if we do not know God's word. And then we can tell them why. Okay. So, mothers, I, if I hear what you're saying, mothers Absolutely. ought to be an example of modesty yes. for daughters. Right? Maxine? Well, I was going to say, having teenage kids, and when they're babies, you know where they're, when they eat, when they potty, who they play with, what they do. And then they get a little older and you don't know 
that schedule anymore because they're going potty by themselves and you still see them regularly, but you know, they're doing their own thing. They get to a point. We want to see them do that. We want to see them mature. And um, we want to be that example and have that relationship, like Rose said, with our kids and, and teach them the Word of God. And, you know, when they see us love God, they're going to want to know what is it that our parents have. And we, as Christian parents, can um, reflect the love of God and pray for them and nurture them. And yet, I see a lot of hope because when Daniel first moved out, I, I cried for two weeks and I thought, what is he going to do? How is he going to live? You know, he's done fine. <laughs> and the Lord has been so good to us and to him. And I see that as a parent, I totally more, more so now trust God with my kids because I wish as as a young mother I did more so too, but as a mother you're real protective and you're real hovering over them as they say. But you know, now that he's a grown adult and he has he's been on his own for a year, you know, I I'm grateful when he calls Sean and I for advice and when he wants to spend time with us and he wants to have a relationship with us. And um, you know, and he wants to know the Lord, you know, but he has to mature in that, like we matured in that. And I'm grateful as a daughter to my mother-in-law because she's that example before me now as I'm raising my kids and they're leaving the house and how I lean on her so much and, you know, and Carol and many other women in the church. And, you know, that's what we need. We need to continuously cultivate our relationship with Christ first and with godly people around us. Last one here, Jean. I think, you know, a really neat closing thought, I think, for all parents, because this is one of the most serious tests of our Christian faith. I think that when it comes to our kids, they're the nearest thing to our hearts. And the key is that we keep saying that God is sovereign. And it's hard to believe that he's sovereign when you see your kids strain. But you have to remember that he has created some vessels for human use, some vessels for unclean use. And it is not us. It is not us doing it. He is in control of the world, not us. Amen. Absolutely. You know, as we as you think about what's being said in class today, you may think that this is somewhat severe, and you may think I'm really fired up about this and taking a, a firm stance and maybe sounding somewhat condescending or, or condemning. But I want you to understand in the following verses here what Paul is about to say about these things. Okay? He's saying, look, nobody who lives like this has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And when he says it's not even to be named among the saints because it's not proper, he's saying, look, because it doesn't exist among the saints. If you are the saints, these things are to be purged from your life. Okay, That's not to say that we don't have some growing up to do and that we're not involved in a very difficult war. We are. Okay? But you're seeing the standard laid down by the apostle here. The standard is, it's not proper. It's not even to be named among us. Why? Because nobody who lives like this will enter the kingdom of God. Okay? And we're going to tear those verses apart and look and see exactly what they say so that nobody is confused about what the Bible is teaching here in regards to this kind of a lifestyle. Okay? And so we'll, we'll pick up with that next week. Shall we pray? God, our Father, Lord, we thank you for 
all of the good discussion. I pray, God, that as we wrestle with these truths, that you would impress upon our hearts that thing which you are saying to us as individuals. And God, I pray that you'd give us strength to, uh, to, to be the kind of parents we need to be. God, help us to always be pursuing you and, and loving you with all of our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. Lord, may our affections be set on you. Help us, O oh God, to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good and to love what is good. And Lord, help us to teach our kids how to discern the clean from the unclean. Help us to give us words to say, God. And, and, and more than that, Lord, give, a, give them a supernatural divine protection, God. Help us to pray for protection of, over their minds and their hearts and the things that they face in a day. Lord, I pray that you'd cause each one of us to grow in this area. Help us to know and understand what it is that you are saying to the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.